0: in Toronto.
1: It's an impressive array of microphones. I feel like I'm Governor Clinton or something. I could say that I took a drink of alcohol but didn't swallow it or something like that. However, that wouldn't have gotten me onto the podium tonight. I hope I can ride the, the wave of positive energy and emotion that is in the room. Uh, today has really been a roller coaster of emotions for me, uh, and unusually so. Um, but the adrenaline really started to pump after dinner when I went out, uh, because I was jittery, really, and uh, was just pacing up and down the hall and bumped into an old long time friend who I haven't seen for a number of years and who had come in for the meeting uh, after the dinner and uh, brought back so many memories Uh, I know looking at me tonight it's it's difficult to believe but but Kevin and I used to go on spearhead leather runs uh, at the end of August every year and uh, it was a total drinking and drugging uh, experience and who would have thought that we would end up nine years or whatever later, uh, here together, uh, sharing and enjoying recovery. Before I get into my uh, my actual story, I'm just going to do a little bit of preamble. I would like to thank uh, Linda for inviting me. Uh, this is my um, first uh, conference uh, lead, and I can remember when I first came into the program, and went to my first conference, and uh, operating totally at that point on image and ego and I saw the speaker and I thought that's something I would like to do. Uh, I know, I will just get my story in order, memorize it, and uh, market it. And um, of course I had no recovery and uh, knew nothing about the program. And I've often thought, every time I have uh, spoken, how the story changes in order and in importance and in feelings, as it should, uh, each time out of the gate. And so there, there is no such thing as one story, but I, I find it quite amusing. And so Linda, uh, I, I'm sure Linda knew she was dealing with an alcoholic when she phoned me and she asked me about my work hours, and, and she was considerably more conscientious about my hours than I am, and she phoned me back and told me that she was uh, Taking me out of Toronto on a six o'clock flight Friday night, and my first thought was no time for printing nor shopping.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, I gently asked her about changes, and she, she assured me quite firmly that there were no changes allowed on the ticket. And being a true alcoholic, I immediately set about to, to uh, exert my will and change that. And uh, I remember on a Saturday, perhaps in, in January, getting all dressed up and tucking my dog under my arm and going down to the Bloor offices of Air Canada and uh, seeing if I could um, chime them into it. And there was no way. I, I tried again with a phone call. But then, the wonder of sponsors. Two nights before the conference would begin my sponsor heard about my time. And uh, so he knew somebody in Montreal who worked with Air Canada and uh, he changed the ticket and when I phoned Linda there was silence for a minute and she had not asked me how that came about to her credit but, but I'm sure she hung up the phone and thought well, at least no, I've invited an alcoholic
0: <laughs>
1: to structure the story as the big book suggest it be done by telling you what it was like, and, and what happened, and uh, what it's like today. Um, I was born in Ottawa, Canada, um, long and far away. Um, I know I won't be able to get away with that much of a euphemism for long in the story, but that's, that's what I'll start with. And I was born the youngest of five children to a working-class Irish family, Catholic, and we've already heard this weekend of, uh, of some of the uh, scenario that goes along with that. What seems to me to have be been important about that childhood were two things. One, although I wasn't in uh, a family that I would in term in any way dysfunctional, the attitude to alcohol I did pick up. And the role of alcohol in my family was that whenever there was anything, either good or bad, you had a drink. If it was good, then you had a drink to celebrate, and if it was unfortunate news, then you had a drink to feel better. And I I truly believe that, although it took many, many years to to manifest itself in in full-blown alcoholism, that I carried from childhood that attitude towards alcoholism. The second thing from childhood, of course, was the fact that I always, from the youngest age of, that I can remember, felt different, and indeed was different. And that this ease just so permeated everything uh, of pretending to be one thing and knowing in my heart uh, that I was different in terms of my my sexual identity. And so that too carried on over the years, uh, eventually uh, combined with alcohol, uh, brought me to where I am today. And although it's, it, it would seem to be jumping far ahead in the story, uh, I was sharing with someone at dinner tonight that, that uh, I'm one of those who am truly so grateful to be an alcoholic uh, because I can't imagine where my life would have been if my life existed today had I not found the program. Uh, The changes have been just so sweeping and so uh, immensely fundamental and um, my life today is so happy that um, that I can't help but but really love to be uh, at these conferences and uh, with you people. However, to go back in the story, um, I'm going to move along somewhat um, to the point where I was coming out. And at that point um, the real confusion and the real um, digression, the real going up the pathway I think began for me in terms of self-esteem. Um, I, I, wasn't particu- I didn't come out particularly young, I was in my early twenties. I met a fellow in Ottawa who suggested that I was perhaps driving myself crazy by, uh, at that time, engaged to a girl and then going out after the dates and meeting men and so on. And he suggested I go to Provincetown and to show show the strength of the compulsion. That was a Friday night. I woke up Saturday morning. I, I approached my sister. I asked her if she had any cash. She said she did. She gave it to me. My parents were away shopping. I got in the car. I drove virtually nonstop from Ottawa to Provincetown. Uh, went to the beach, met people at the beach who invited me uh, to the cocktail hour and I saw men dance with men for the first time and instantly, I knew I was home.
0: <laughs>
1: and while that of course was a positive, good thing. The unfortunate thing to me was that uh, I embraced a set of values that was totally superficial, and that although I had a substantial education and worked in teaching, I, I've been teaching high school for um, thirty years, and um, although I was teaching, I I really just put that on the back burner. I did what I had to do to to live in the bars. And um, that was really proven to me. I, I spent a summer holiday, I had a chance to go to California. And when I lived in California, I really felt that I reborn in, in, in every way. and. I remember being in California and thinking that some terrible mistake had happened at my birth and that I was born to the wrong parents in the wrong country and that California just had to be the land of dreams for me. I went back to my teaching job in Toronto, immediately resigned, although this was September and I, I couldn't leave till the next June, but I handed him my resignation anyway, um, got, immediately planned to. Uh, Get rid of the car and the apartment and move to California. And it was at that point, as I understand it today, that I began to substitute image for substance, and that I be, I just, uh, as one therapist once told me, you know, that when I, by the time I came into the program, I thought that I was just as she put it, a hank of blonde hair and a wardrobe. And I lived my whole, what I saw as my meaningful life in the bar, and the rest just a getting by. And I remember one Christmas having to fly home to Ottawa, and it was truly having to, and crying in the bar because I felt that my true family, and I said that to them, was there. And that my biological family was just a circumstance, and so I left California. I have a whole pattern of running when I get into relationships, um, and if I can't handle a relationship, or uh, then I I simply leave, and I I left California, came home briefly to uh, Toronto to uh, physically recover, but knew that I still wanted to give America just, you know, another chance. I I, I still firmly believe that that my destiny lay lay in America. And so I moved to New York, and it was interesting because I'd always said I disliked New York but I did think it was an important and necessary place to have on your resume as a gay person to, to live in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: when I arrived in New York, I, I only wanted a part-time job because, as I've indicated, my full-time job was in the bars. And, and uh, I just lived to be validated at night. If I, if I met someone and, and was home with someone, then that was truly... Um, All that that mattered. However, what was offered to me was a a full-time contract, and once again I I was seduced by by money and agreed to it, and I I told everybody at the school in my life that I was staying for one year and one year only, and I I thought probably I would return to California at that time. The one year stretched to two to three. At this point I stopped talking. about One thing I would like to talk about in in terms of the American experience, when I decided to move to California, and and the the story is a bit long, but I I think it's worthwhile in that it captures for you vividly where my self-esteem was and where my image was. When I decided to move to California, I decided that Bill just would not cut it as a name. And... And I mean, I was not, you know, 15 years old at this time. I was, you know, approaching 30. I think now that a person approaching 30 would sit down and go through a list of names to get one that he felt projected an image that that suited whatever was in his head. And I can remember sitting at my dining table with this list of names. And they were all, at that time, very california trendy names like Lance and Todd and and uh, one of them was Scott and uh, I remember having a, a very good friend over and I said to him Barry I have this list of names uh-huh. and and he looked at me quite askance and I said I'm going to change name when I move to California because Bill is just you know so ordinary and um, so he was very quiet and I read him through the list and I said what do you think and he said well I I don't know what's wrong with Bill, and I go, oh, Barry, you just don't understand. You haven't been to California, <laughs> and as I prepared to go to California and I settled on Scott, not really thinking that, that, you know, Scott didn't go so well with my last name, which is just so overwhelmingly Irish, but anyway, um, and I was on a pla- the plane going up to California And I thought, now, we're on the plane, I must remember, whenever anybody asks me my name, that I've now changed it. And I was seated beside two nuns, which didn't seem like a very auspicious step for this California journey. And we were about halfway through the trip when finally they turned to me and very quietly asked what I did and what my name was. And I told them my name was Bill, because that just didn't seem the right place to... To give birth to God
0: <laughs>
1: and so i even though I'd broken my own vow and I thought that was fine because of the circumstances and i I got to San Francisco and went to the hotel and immediately changed at that time the big bar and the hot bar was one called uh the rendezvous and um ooh, some remember um, and I went to the rendezvous and I went up and I went to the bar and I was you know. As always totally sort of uh, projecting image and uh, the bartender asked me what I would like to drink and I hadn't really somehow anticipated that and I quickly looked up and down because I, I always wanted to drink whatever other people were drinking, I didn't monitor something and so I wanted to drink whatever was the most popular beer and I ordered it and standing beside me was the presidential in my mind California person that I wanted to be. So six foot two and bond and tan surfer, and because I hesitated, he said, "You must be out of town." And I said, "Yes, I was." And he said, "Where from?" And I said, "Toronto." And he said, "What's your name?" And I took a deep breath and I said, "Scott." And he said, "Gee," he said, "You really look like a Scott." And I thought, "Terrific!" You see, I'm absolutely right.
0: <laughs>
1: and I turned to him. And I said, What's your name? And he said, The yeah. <laughs> so funny but sad part of that story is that I had no sense of humor, no sense of self-worth, that I would have laughed and told him what a wonderful story was. I was entering into a six-month relationship with this person, intimate relationship, never once told my true name, hid all my identification. I mean, quite clearly, uh, the sickness uh, of low self-esteem. Um, and I really attribute it to that Childhood and that adolescence, that um, not knowing who I was, being told, pretending on I was one thing, but being something else. Now, I must say that for many, many years, I enjoyed alcohol. There is a saying I'm sure you've heard, but about um, alcohol gave. One gives one wings, and, but then it takes away the sky. And for many years, I enjoyed the wings. And it wasn't really until I moved to New York and uh, began the, the teaching during the day and, and Fire Island on weekend and, and going out maybe four or five nights a week. And then I felt that I, I knew, not felt, I had to, in order to keep going, had to subsidize the alcohol with acetamines during the day to, to get to when to teach, but then also sedatives at night in order to get a rest. And I juggled those for, I suppose, something like seven, eight years. The the details are, are fuzzy as you can imagine.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: what happened was after five years in New York and uh, numerous uh, experiences that, that aren't really particularly pertinent to the story of and uh, being held up at gunpoint twice, once at Harlem at midnight, and also stories like that. But the the point that that is valid is that I really felt burnt out, and was burnt out. And as I see it now, I thought, uh, I'll go back to Toronto. I'll go back to that kinder, gentler place, and pick up my life where I left off, and things will be fine. Well, two things had changed, of course, I had changed substantially, and Toronto and it' the scene had changed substantially. And so I was in for an enormous disappointment, of course, the minute that I resumed my job in New York, I got involved in a relationship. And so when I moved to Toronto, I left relations, moved back to a city that had changed. And that really began to decline, uh, as, as I did today. Um, and here my story sort of falls into two segments. One, uh, I would like to go over the, a few of the facts that, that describe my bottom. Um, and that's why talking is so important, because after a number of years in the program, and a number of years living life as, as we see it tonight in these rooms, we sometimes forget, I sometimes forget, where I came from. Some of those sad stories and tragic stories, I suppose, is that uh, I got arrested uh, for Uh, uh I claim, still, still somewhat to this day, that it was a political setup because the police picked me up outside the gay bar. But, however, if I was not truly guilty that night, Said been many, many nights when I was guilty. And um, I mean, the minute they picked me up, I can remember every detail of that evening, unfortunately or fortunately. And they took me to a police cell, and uh, I was sitting in the police cell, and they made me take off my belt and take my shoelaces off and so on. And I can remember being so, feeling so totally degraded and, and wondering what my parents and my family would think. Um, however, it was to be a number of years before there were enough different incidents. Another incident I remember was, oh, there was a story in the big book about, you know, shaking all night. And I can remember times. Now, it's true they weren't all collective. I would go on binges and then there would be a period of time when I'd pull it together. There were times when, many times, when I would leave school at lunchtime and go to a nearby restaurant and have four or five quick glasses of wine to control the shakes. And then after four or five glasses of wine, we'll eat a sandwich and then go back somehow through the afternoon. Um, I can remember at least two occasions we drink at school, once in the book room and, um, and once in the classroom during exam time when the students weren't there and marking exams. And somehow thinking, well, I don't know what I was thinking. I must have thought it was okay at the time, or, or, or it would have brought me to the program sooner. I remember also once going into a, a wine store and having a shake so badly that I couldn't get the bottle of wine off the shelf, and there was a dear sweet grandmother type lady running the store, and she got it for me, she put it in a bag, and she said, now you go drink this beer, and then you should go and phone AA. <laughs> That store is so good. I mean, I, I know the intersection, the corner of, you know, Gerrard and Coxwell, East End Toronto. And I took the bottle of wine out and I got the top off. I picked the type of the scoop type because that was the most I could manage. The same incident after her telling you this and I was peeing it on the street, Please police to stop. It's quarter to ten in the morning. No, it must have been after 10, because liquor sort go over to 10, but whatever. And it was morning, and he stopped me, and he poured the wine down uh, a sewer grate, had me sit in the cruiser, and he asked me questions. Um, and I, the truth was that I was trying to get to my doctors. I had a doctor's, appointment, but I had to get straightened out enough to get to the doctors and get the shakes under control. And he asked me what I did, and so on. And, so, and he said, You're insane. Why, why are you jeopardizing a job like this by drinking? And I said, well, that's why I'm going to see my doctor. And he hailed a cab. Well, he gave me a $58 ticket, but he hailed a cab for me. I got in the cab and the cab driver, and it was really a a blessing at that time, uh, was an alcoholic. And he said to me, what you need is a drink, not a doctor. And he stopped at another winco that had chilled white wine. Mine had warm stuff, so he knew the better source. And he gave him, still giving him ten dollars, and he went and picked up the bottle of wine. And as he drove me to doctor's appointment out of thirst, I drank the wine. And my only concern on the way out there was that with him driving and hitting bumps and me drinking, that I would chip one of my capped teeth (laughs) on the way to the doctor's. And I got to the doctor's. And, um, of course, she wasn't particularly pleased with where I was at. But, um, and perhaps for me one of those point of times was during one summer holiday, and summers were always the worst because I didn't have to pull myself back, one long boardwalk in Toronto, and crying, I remembered it so vividly, crying, because everybody seemed to be having so much fun and such a good time, and I was in such pain, and did not know what to do about it, and, and of course I finished that bottle and then fell asleep in the park and, and so on, so life was just that series of stories and many more like them. My first entry into AA came, I'd gone away to Skate Canada, I'm a great figure skating fan, and I'd gone away to Skate Canada with one of my dear friends, and what I didn't know was that she came from an alcoholic family. And she knew all the signs and all symptoms. And I was drinking in the morning from a glass that I had hidden underneath the bed. And when we got, she was simply silent all the last day. And when we got back, she wrote me a letter telling me, you know, that she hoped she didn't lose me as a friend, that that displayed all the classic signs of an alcoholic and needed help. And she had someone, uh, a friend who, is still my friend today, and, and who many of you know, Pierce M from Toronto, phoned me, and I, I wasn't really ready. Uh, at, and so when he came to the house, I disappeared. When he phoned me after you could me I said yes, and then I got panicked, he so in the door and went to the nearest restaurant and ordered a bottle of wine. However, I did start going to AA meetings. And if I sound uh, hesitant at this point, it is that my first venture my fault or whatever, was not a successful one. I went to AA with the illusion that many of us have that if I went for a period of time that I could learn how to drink and then I could graduate. And so I didn't want to become too enmeshed. I didn't want to become too connected, so I didn't go to step meetings because uh, they, they were a little intense, I thought. Uh, And so I only went to open meetings where the speaker was fairly entertaining, I hoped. And I can remember being at a meeting and asked me to be librarian, and I turned it down because, I mean, the job ran for six months. And um, I intended to, you know, finish my studies by that time. And um, so I went in January, and by May, which is my uh, birthday, my biological birth date. I thought, okay, now I'm ready to go out. Now, in that short period of time, and and for those who have have any doubts about what happens when you stop and go back, that was day the second when I picked up my first drink. By June the 15th, I was in such best shape that I came home from school with all the exams, went on a bender, never did return to school. Yes. Many calls on my answering machine, people banging on my door my principal, because I had all the exams. I had all the year. I was hiding out, because I was so sung out. I finally, some shape or form, got the exams marked and sent them in a cab. Uh, but we were, as you imagine, near the end at this point. Um, by early July, on a Sunday night, I decided I was going to quit. Now, I... Because I've been drinking such a stretch, I have, no, I have no idea today what made me decide that night I was going to stop. What the final thing was. There was nothing traumatic, particularly. I decided I would stop on a Sunday night. By Tuesday, I was in such dreadful shit. I, I really, and maybe I, I could, could have died. I thought I was having convulsions and so on, because I live alone. And I phoned Pierce and I said, you know, I've been out. And he said, yes, I know. And, um, and he came over. And uh, at that, that time, I, I was just so dastardly sick. And he thought for a day that he could sort of bring me soup and so on. We could sort of pull me around. And after a day, I just was getting sicker. And by this time, he was getting frightened. And so he came to my house looking very somber. And he said, you know, I've talked to the people on the program. And they think you should go into a detox. Well, I was sick, but not too sick to not to cause a scene. And um, and I just screamed that I couldn't possibly go to a detox and that I wanted to go to Wellesley Hospital. So he said, okay. So he said, provided we could even get you to the Wellesley Hospital, um, you know, what would we do there? And so ultimately, after that, an hour, I saw the wisdom, whatever, his ways, and I went to a, a detox, and what was the three days? It turned into a 10 day stay because they didn't know the amount of sleeping pills and amphetamines I was on. And after three days, I I was just worse and couldn't even walk. And I went from there into a 28 day treatment center. And for which I'm enormously grateful, um, it would appear day at a time that that has been sufficient uh, exposure to to alcohol and drugs. Now, as you've heard, I I came into AA, as the saying goes, to save my ass, but in AA, I found that 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 was connected to my soul. And thus, my comment at the beginning of my talk, how the program has just uh, totally changed my values and my life, and uh, this is always been most um, the difficult part of the talk to to deal with. The part of today, I also know that it's the most important, and I'm just going to touch uh, today on, on a few areas, some of which I learned to manage, and some of which I haven't. Um, from the beginning, my single greatest character defect has been uh, intolerance. No surprise, I'm sure, too, too, too many. Um, the inability, except a very rigorous work to keep open mind. Uh, the fact that uh, my first temptation, is, my first inclination is to be judgmental. I attribute it somewhat to having such an extended career in the bar circuit. Where you you judged everybody solely on superficial uh, images and values. Um, however, I'm not one of those uh, people who spends a great deal of time trying to analyze how I got to be either an alcoholic or how I got to be gay. But rather, uh, dealing with the reality of it. And what I I do know today is that when I am experiencing those feelings that it's invariably tied into my expectations, my expectations of others and my expectations of myself. And I had a very vivid example of that today. The day began well and by that noon I was working myself into what I could see was, you know not a particularly healthy uh, frame of mind. Um, I suppose it, it was a combination of, of, uh, of anxiety about tonight, um, a combination of when I went to my room and sat down for about five minutes, a realization of my expectations of us. And throughout the program, I relied on one paragraph, in the big book more than any other. And ironically, if the paragraph is not even in my copy of the big book, I was given the big book by a man who was not able to grasp the program, but he understood the benefits of the program and he gave it to me. And for sentimental reasons, I put the copy, but it does not have the story of the doctor alcoholic addict in it. But one night at a meeting, I heard this paragraph read and I can't tell you the number of times I've borrowed friends' books and taken and had the hate drops. And that's the paragraph course, about that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And that when I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, or thing unacceptable to me. And that I can find no serenity and no peace until, until I've accepted that. And that it's me that has to be changed and so sitting in my room I thought well each person has their own method of, of getting out of these moods if I stay in the hotel I'm not sure that I'm just not going to get more angst uh, entwined so um, although it may sound <laughs> uh, superficial maybe it is I know that the answer is for me to get out of the building for one thing, invariably get out into the sunshine and wind and walk. And if that involves shopping, even if it's not looking, but it was just a little bit more, not a whole lot more than that, just one pair of jeans, but that somehow I can turn that mood around. And And I think it's simply, quite frankly, my method of getting out of my head and out of my feelings and out into some different environment. now, for someone else, the answer might have been to have gone to yet another workshop or, or you know talk to someone or phone their sponsor. Everyone has their own. but I mean I had been to workshops in the morning, and I you know I, I, I was just afraid that unless I used tried and true. And so I approached Linda, uh, who was sitting in the uh, out here at a sofa and I said, Linda and part of my problem of course is that I I was feeling trapped in a sense and that you know how how many of us love control. And to be here without a car and as a guest and and not have control sort of of where I went and and what I, I did to that extent. So I went to Linda and I said, How far is it to walk to the nearest mall? And she said, Oh, it's far. So I hope Linda doesn't mind this story, but it's too late now, I'm into it. And uh, I said, well, I said, I'm a good walker, so I said, if it's ten miles to the mall, then it's too far. But if it's only two miles, and she said, oh, I don't even think it's two. I said, well, then I'm off. And down the stairs I went, and I asked the man at the front desk, and he pointed out, and I went the wrong direction, which is, Pretty much the story of, of my recovery, I suppose, in many ways. And um, but I went all the way the wrong way to the ro- to the wrong whatever mile road, and then turned around. But I was determined; I was not going to be <laughs> disappointed. Walked all the way to to the mall, and the minute I set foot in the mall, I just suddenly my spirit was in a sense with all that entanglement and that you know um, feeling of. of resentment or disappointment or plans that hadn't gelled the way I would have liked them to have. And so I, I spent a happy couple of hours there uh, by myself, just walking up and down and out of stores, and came back and, uh, and, and felt so much uh, better for it. But again, it's that acceptance that the problem lies within me and that I'm free each day and in each situation to choose to either make it a good one and it will be good, or I can choose to make it bad and continue along that road until, until I've had enough of that. I know conferences are uh, times when people love to talk about uh, relationships. Um, you will be relieved in terms of time to know that that I apparently know absolutely nothing constructive nor positive about relationships. <laughs> Mine have all been uh, various levels of disaster. Um, I will tell you a little bit about the last one because it, it's nothing else, it was the springboard for enormous growth. And people tell me I should be so grateful to this person for the growth that he enabled me to have. However, on a good day as I can, but many days the thing was just so enormous. And so what happened was when I was two years sober and I You know, I listened to my sponsor and the people on the program who said not to get into relationships the first year, and I just assumed that after you'd put in the time of one year, you had paid your dues and you were now ready for relationships. Not that one, that I put in two years, so I was certain to have a successful relationship. And uh, I'd gone to the Montreal, the big 50th or whatever, a conference in Montreal, and went home to visit my parents in Ottawa, met a young man. Now, what I, I didn't pay attention to, of course, was that he didn't have a year. He had like nine months and um, entered into a relationship. And it was the classic for me, but fortunately, the fortunate thing this time is that I did have two years. And so when a few months later, he just disappeared out of my life and, and left me totally in a shambles that I, I did know to go to AA meetings every night to share and it didn't matter and that was the first time it didn't matter if it was a straight meeting or a gay meeting I told that story around Toronto I'm sure ad nauseum. I also went went into to therapy and and so in that sense it it was an enormous uh growth inspiring uh experience however The interesting aspect is that since that date, I have not risked relationships. Um, I did get a dog two years ago. Um, and although people laugh, and I understand the laughter, I'm one of those who subscribe to the theory that it's important to love something, uh, whether it be a pet or a person. And that that's a step. And the reason it's important for me is that it gets me out of myself. Until the dog came along, all I thought about when I woke up first thing in the morning was what I needed. And now it's something other than me whose needs come first. So I think that's healthy. Now, whether or not that's ever going to be healthy enough to get me into another human. A relationship of, of an intimate nature remains to be seen. Uh, I'm well aware that one of the reasons I'm staying away is that, that relationships are the truest mirror of all, and that it's in relationships that, that you truly face yourself and your self-centeredness, and your willingness to compromise, and all those things. And so, while my life as I see it as enormously happy, uh, I, I, I must be honest and say that that is one mountain that I have not successfully climbed. I'd like to close by talking a little bit about the conferences and what they've done to for me. Uh, during my time in AA, I, I've been, some of the do things, uh, not all of them, uh, I have worked the phones. I have gone and taken a two year stint at, at going and speak to prisons on Sunday. I actually thought that would be a sort of kinkier experience than it could to be, but I took it for the wrong reasons, but I did pay my dues for two years um, but one one of the greatest growth experiences. And you notice I don't necessarily stay happy. The greatest growth experiences was working on the gratitude conference in Toronto. And um, I worked on a program and I also in the same year uh, had a, a large part in the show. And what that did for me was give me the confidence to be able to follow something that I've, I've had as a dream on a back burner since I was a child, and that is to to uh, perform. And although my teaching in English classroom gave me ample experience, so many of those elements, it, it isn't theater in, in its truest and, and, and uh, total sense. And so following gratitude, I had the courage to to audition for fruit cocktail, which some of you may have seen, which the gay community font every two years. And I had a role in that and subsequently have been able to go on and, and perform um, in theaters in, in Toronto. And um, so thanks to the to the wonderful gifts that the program has given me uh, come this June, I'm I am uh, eligible for um, Well, sounds um, the word still seems strange to me, but I'm eligible to take early retirement. And so I am uh, stepping down, teaching after 33 years this June, and not without, as, as you can imagine, some uh, anxiety and some excitement. Uh, and I'm stepping down uh, to to pursue hopefully a career uh, in farming. And I know uh, when I give thanks at night, and I, I give thanks. Usually in the same order, I give thanks for the environment that uh, my power has given me. I give thanks for the companionship and I give thanks for the courage to change and the courage to go on and follow and change the cassettes in your head and follow some of those other dreams. And it's a far richer and more powerful life than I could have ever imagined. And so having had the uh, wings taken away uh, when I was drinking, uh, I was able to come into the program and truly uh, find that AA and these people were the wind uh, beneath the wings for all. Thanks very much.